Wednesday morning, JM and the AM. Hope your Pesach preparations are going well. So many of you uh, recall the Pesach products program from this past Monday. And uh, in fact, uh, people commented on it again yesterday. We repeated it. We encored it just after JM and the AM yesterday morning. And a lot of interesting issues came up. We spoke about, uh, is there such a thing as a Shalom Zacher on a Friday night Lel Seder? Uh, which it seems uh, since then we've done some research and there in fact is not. Uh, we discussed a whole bunch of different situations that are uh, taking place this year specifically because the Seder is Friday night. And uh, one of the things that we brought up was this um, interesting concept that for those in Israel, Pesach ends essentially Friday night, uh, right after the seventh day Pesach and goes right into Shabbos, of course. And uh, for us outside of Israel, uh, Pesach will continue with Achron Shal Pesach next Shabbos. And we raised the question, could someone in theory uh, cook up, someone who's um, an Israeli, cook up some uh, kitneos, an Ashkenazi Israeli even, cook up some kitneos on the seventh day of Pesach with the Erev Tefshilin, of course, which has been made, and then eat it on Shabbos. They themselves, not, not offering it, of course, to those who are outside of Israel, they themselves eat it. And I am told, and I hope I'm accurate, uh, we'll find out in a minute if I'm accurate, I'm told that this question um, made its way uh, and influenced um, a shear that Rabbi Shai Schechter has um, uh, delivered and one that he will, in fact, deliver later today as well. Rabbi Shai Schechter is the Rosh Base Medrash at the Young Israel of Woodmere, and he joins us live via telephone. Rabbi Schechter, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Thank you so much for having me. Am I right that Monday, uh, pleasure, am I right that Monday's show and this question sort of altered uh, your Kitneos presentation this week in Woodmere? It absolutely did, and I got to give credit to uh, Miriam Wallach for asking me this question about actually a little variation of the regular question, and that is, what if you have an Israeli who's going to be in your home uh, in America? Would that person be able to cook up something, even though the rest of the members of the family here in America would not be able to participate, would not be able to eat it, because for us, it is still Pesach. Right. Now, the truth is, the question is discussed very broadly in Israeli communities, because they all want to make a challenge for Shabbos. <laughs> right. <laughs> everyone's, so, desperate, uh, everyone's desperate for a real challenge. Yeah, so here in America, it's a little bit of an unusual question, but it's very fascinating. It's a very interesting issue. All right, so where I don't want to give away your entire sheer to those who are going to be attending later today, but where do we go with this question? Because I would think that in addition to the whole, uh, you know, exposing uh, someone in the household to kidneyos uh, question, I would also think that there's got to be an element of somebody who is a uh, Ben Eretz Israel, somebody who is living in Israel, who's visiting the United States, generally we don't want them uh, doing things publicly or you know in front of other people that would normally be a violation of the holiday, uh, what we would call Befarhesia. And these days, as someone pointed out to me last night when I was discussing this question with them, these days everything is Befarhesia. And so number one, one would think, do we want them to you know, to uh, in the kitchen of somebody who's here in the U.S., want them cooking up kidneyos on the seventh day Pesach. Would that be one consideration? I think there are a number of points about what you just raised. One is that normally we would say that it's not a wise idea to have people cooking, let's say, non-kosher food in your house. You never know what's going to happen. I think it's difficult to say that kidneyos falls into that category because we have so many friends and so many relatives who are from the Sephardi communities, 
who feel that it's absolutely permissible to use kidney as some Pesach. So I think that consideration is not really the same as we otherwise would have it in perhaps other areas of kosher food or not. Uh, it's a little bit similar to, let's say, there are Hasidim who are careful not to eat Kibrach on Pesach. So once again, one cannot say that that is considered to be like non-kosher food in the home of somebody who's a Hasid. That's just, you know, different customs, different communities have different things. When it comes to kidneys, this is something that was instituted a thousand years ago by the Rishonim. And um, although the Rishonim know clearly, based on the Gemara Masech HaSachim, the Rishonim know that it can never really lead to become chametz. That's the nature of these items, of rice. Uh, rice can never become chametz, but yet we assume that it's a chumrah. It's a very old chumrah that the Rishonim have adopted, and it's something that um, that we have accepted as Ashkenazim, the Ramah right? Hmm. So on your first point, so the gentleman who tried to tell me last night that this would be comparable to somebody doing malacha in your home on the eighth day Pesach, again, obviously this year it's Shabbos, so there's a difference, but if it, would be, if it would be a weekday, we would discourage somebody from doing malacha in front of our children, even though they're allowed to, quote-unquote, because they're Ben Eretz Yisrael. This would not, cooking kitneos on the seventh day would not come close to being comparable to that type of situation. No, not at all. I don't think it's the same. And mm, the, only other, the only other thing to keep in mind with regard to that question is one of the students of the Chassam Sofer in the 1800s writes that if somebody is going to have to cook kidneys in their home on Pesach, either because they have a family member who's not well or there's extenuating circumstances, for example, the Sholem writes about a time when there was simply no money to buy regular food and the You there, Rabbi Schachter? Yes. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. Yeah. No money to buy regular food, right? Um, the Sholem writes that there was a year when there was no money for food, and the cheapest item they were able to purchase was rice. Uh, so the Sholem writes that certainly we would allow a person to buy rice in such a year and to eat it, because uh, extenuating circumstances allow us right. to have kidney in some Pesach. So the Maram Shik writes that if one is in such a circumstance, you are allowed to cook it, you're allowed to eat it, but he suggests that you cook it in a different pot than the regular pots that you would use for other Pesach cooking. Mm-hmm. So that is that is a suggestion. And, you know, to tell you the truth, this is a question that we're asked very often. Let's yeah. say you have a uh, son-in-law or a daughter-in-law who is a Svarti, uh, or you have an Ashkenazi who married into a Svarti family, and everybody wants to accommodate each other, but the question is, what does one family unit do when some of them are eating kidneys and others are perhaps not allowed to? Mm-hmm. So these are all uh, fascinating elements of this issue. Are, 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 there, are there, how do I say this, are there plenty of reliable poskim who would tell an Ashkenazi son-in-law to eat whatever your mother-in-law in the Sephardic home is serving on Pesach, or that is a limited number of poskim who would say that? I would say it's a very prominent psaac that was given by the great Sadiq Rabbi Yosef. He writes a lengthy discussion about this. And he feels that it's entirely permissible for the Ashkenazi son-in-law to eat his mother-in-law's food. Um, But not everybody agrees. I know my father has had his doubts about such a psaac, but he certainly understands where it comes from. You know, you have to really weigh each situation carefully. Like uh, a couple of days ago, I was asked by a vegan 
whether or not on Pesach we can allow them to eat kibir. After all, there's very limited amounts of food that they can actually eat on Pesach because everything has eggs in it. Right. So once again, you have to really judge each circumstance and figure out whether or not it's reasonable for us to allow a person to eat kidneys on any given year. Right. Their argument, uh, their argument was, if I remember your presentation correctly, that they might be uh, in the category of a chola, someone who's not well, where you would, of course, be more lenient when it comes to what, the, what they're allowed to eat. Right. So the question is, do we define a chola? Somebody who has made a choice to become a vegan, is that considered a chola, or would we say you really do have the option to eat other foods, you have just chosen not to? So that's a very interesting question to think about. Yeah, so if someone's actually allergic to the entire menu list, that would be different from 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 uh, restricting themselves by choice. That certainly, would, yeah. for example, a celiac. We yeah. certainly would allow a celiac to eat kidneys on Pesach because they have very limited uh, food items that they can use. I don't know. I sort of like the chola argument. I don't know why. I sort I sort of thought the vegan because I heard you uh, your presentation about it. I thought they had a good case. Not that I'm arguing with you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I thought they were making a valid point, and that you know who who really is. I mean, a chola themselves sometimes one may argue is responsible for getting themselves in that position. You know, somebody who's a heavy smoker. You know, can't you argue that you know they are a chola? They've developed a certain disease because of their choices. You know, along the way. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, you know, I actually spoke yesterday with both my father and Rabbi Usher Weiss from Yerushalayim about this very question, and they were a little bit hesitant, because on mm. the one hand, you might be responsible for creating the circumstance, but on the other hand, right now, the way you find yourself, unless you're a vegan for a number of years, I don't know exactly how it works, but I would imagine it would cause an upset stomach, it would cause you to feel very uncomfortable if you had to break your diet at this point. Right. So it really, uh, it's really something that we need to consider, we need to think about. With a changing world and with people who have very restrictive eating habits, we have to start, you know, recalculating and thinking more carefully about the psaac that we gave regarding kidneys. Interesting. Rashai Shachter is with us, Rosh Beis Medrash at the Young Israel of Woodmere. All this began, our conversation began because of what happened Monday here and the question of the... Uh, uh, the kidneys being uh, cooked on the seventh day of Pesach by an Israeli in an American home for himself to eat on the eighth day of Pesach, which of course for him would be a quote unquote regular Shabbos. By the way, back for a moment to the um, uh, to the question of uh, oh, uh, it just escaped my mind. Okay, I'll move on to the next thing. I'm sure that'll come back to me. Is there a possibility? We were discussing this last night as well. <clears throat> Is there a possibility that? Um, that for the person who is um, uh, cooking on the seventh day Pesach, again, I, I guess it would be more so, you know, in the case of the U.S., where they're cooking for themselves exclusively. Is it possible that that kidneyos on the seventh day Pesach would be considered muktzah? That is a very important question, and that is really the crux of the issue with regard to this whole discussion. So the truth is, if you look, the Gemara Masecha Shabbos has a very interesting idea where we're told, let's say you have truma, which as we know is something that can only be consumed by a Kohen, right. a regular non-Kohen is not allowed to. Right. So would a Yisrael on a regular Shabbos be allowed to handle truma items or not? Now generally we assume that something that I have no purpose for on Shabbos is considered to be mukta. For right. example, raw meat, which I cannot cook, 
and therefore I cannot eat on Shabbos, um, raw meat is assumed to be mukta, which is uh, which is pretty obvious. The Shulchan Aruch writes that. So the question is, would you assume that truma, which is off-limits for some Jewish people, would we assume that a regular Jew who's a non-Kohen has no right to handle truma on Shabbos because it's mukta, or perhaps not? So the Gemara there tells us in Masecha Shabbos, that we assume that once it's allowed for one Jew, it's allowed to be handled by any Jew. Mm. I think it's just a, a beautiful concept because we, uh, we assume that it's not considered to be mukta because it's not off-limits. Even though for me I cannot eat it, we still would assume that it's okay. I think generally today, because we are blessed to live in communities where we have many, many interactions and familial ties to Bardem and Ashkenazim, all eating at each other's homes and being friendly with each other, I think given the circumstances that we have, which I think are such a beautiful circumstance, one has to argue that this is very similar to the story about Truma, that we would not assume that it's considered to be mukta because you never know. Maybe I'm going to have a smarty who's going to come visit my home, and I'm going to want to make him something that he can eat that he'll be comfortable with. I, uh, I don't think the mukta issue would present itself as a problem here. And uh, does that apply to non-food items as well? Uh, if somebody's in your house and, I don't know, they you know they have items for their baby. And obviously, you have you the person who doesn't have a child has no reason to touch it, to move it, etc. Because it's mutter for them to to use, it would be no question of mutter for anybody else. Yeah, there are a number of sources where the Gemara discusses this, and the Shulchan Aruch and Hilchos Shabbos as well. Uh, I, I think we would assume that this doesn't present an issue uh, at all. Mm, very interesting. Last night, someone tried to convince me uh, with a different proof that on uh, Yom Kippur. Even though we're not allowed to eat food, we could certainly take food and give it to our child. But I guess that would be different anyway because there is a reason for us to do it. I mean, I would say there's a toelus there. There's a reason, but yeah. uh, but they said. I mean, look, there there is a gemara in Sachem which complicates this a little bit. The gemara says you are not allowed to handle chametz on Pesach, even if it doesn't belong to you. You're not allowed to handle it because we're concerned maybe you're going to come to eat it. Right. So that's the question here. Why aren't we concerned as well when it comes to kidneys? that if you handle it, maybe you'll come to eat it. Right. So it's a, uh, definitely a complicated issue, but something that's a very interesting, thought-provoking idea. I could give you my annual example of that, by the way. If you're at a, yeah. if you're at a major league ballpark on Pesach, Cholomoid, and the, the tradition, of course, is if your neighbor asks you to pass the food item from the vendor to them, then, of course, you know... Good, a good neighbor, of course you're going to do it, but what if that is, that's in fact a hot dog in a bun, and now you are, in fact, for a second, holding real chametz, to say the least, real chametz on Pesach. We've actually asked this question on the air in past years, and uh, it, it can get complicated. Yep. Life gets more and more interesting as we go. Here's the uh, question I meant to ask you earlier when you mentioned about the um, eating, and you know, someone eating in, uh, from a Ashkenazi background, eating in a Sephardic home. On Pesach, would it be similar? Because I believe uh, that there are re- reliable poskim who would tell someone who does not hold from the quote unquote heter mechira, and I can't get into it right now for for every listener who may not know what it is. But for our purposes, let me just say it that way: heter mechira. Um, uh, that if they are in someone's home who does hold by the heter mechira and therefore would have a more of a choice of where they would purchase their fruits and vegetables in that situation, that because of shalom bias, because of uh, uh, the desire to make sure that we as as neighbors, as 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 uh, you know, Jews who associate with each other continue to do so, they should be lenient 
and go ahead and eat in that home? Would that be a comparable situation? An interesting question. I think uh, there's a lot of room to be lenient today because when we talk about the Heter Mechira, we're working off of the premise that Shemitah in our times is only considered rabbinic. It's only Midrabanan. Mm. That being the case, there's a lot more room to argue that there are leniencies, and for considerations of shalom bias or not to embarrass or offend someone, there certainly would be concessions that would be made. The Gemara does discuss uh, in Mesechus Brachos about where we are allowed to perhaps break the law for the purposes When it comes to Yisudu we would allow someone to, uh, in some way, break the regular halachic norm in order to conform with Kavod Abriyos. Very. There certainly is a consideration. I know my father told me many years ago that uh, when he was when he was in the Rav Shir, or at some point when he was learning by Rav Salavechik, there was a question that was presented, which I think is a fascinating one, and that is that back then, children who went to Israel for the year, which was not so much in style like it is today, uh, did not come home for Pesach. And the question that was asked was, you know, this person went from America to Israel for Pesach, did not have many relatives there, did not have so many friends, and the only place where they were invited for Yom Tif was a place where they were going to eat Gibraltar. And uh, the father of this child asked Rav Salavechik how his son should handle that. Did he, does he have to do a Hataras Nadarim in order to allow his son to eat Gibraltar this year? After all, he's from a Hasidish family, and they normally would not eat Gibraltar. So that was a question that was presented to Rav Salavechik at the time. And uh, my father told me that Rav Salavechik said that in such a circumstance, a Hataras Nadarim would not even be necessary. Wow. But that's, so, uh, that's not something we would be able to apply to Kidneos, however. If someone's, right. If Kidneos, so- is, Kidneos is considered to be more established, a more firmly established minhag than the idea of, of Gibrux. Gibrux was started by the students of the Baal Shem Tev, which was not that long ago. All right. Uh, practice of kidneys is uh, basically a thousand years old. It seems the only way to uh, address the whole kidneys issue is if you're a woman, you marry an Ashkenazi man. I mean, you marry a Sephardi man. That would be the only uh, only way to uh, to make an adjustment like that, it seems. Yeah, well, even there, there's a discussion. Chazonish has a story about a couple who came to him that the husband was very upset that his wife refused to eat kidneys. When or refused to eat Gibrak, something of that nature, when they got married. And he said he was from a Sephardi family, and he couldn't understand why she wouldn't go along with it. So uh, he wanted to get divorced over this issue. <laughs> and uh, the Chazanish felt that this is certainly not a good reason to file for a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Chazanish suggested that he thinks it's wise either... He said the husband should mind his own business and allow his wife to do whatever makes her comfortable, or they should just uh, discuss it and figure out what would be a a good compromise for both of them. Wow, interesting. I apologize that this five-minute conversation has developed into (laughs) into close to a half hour. It didn't mean to take up so much of your time. Rabbi Shai Schechter, Rosh Space Medrash of the Young Israel of Woodmere. By the way, uh, before we do, in fact, conclude, have you heard about this effort among people in Israel that because such a large percentage of the country in fact, um, uh, eats kidneys on Pesach. Some argue, uh, some halachic sources argue, that uh, anybody who is uh, now a Ben Eretz Yisrael should be able to fall under that umbrella and have kidneys on Pesach? I've heard such an argument, but from the teachers that I consult with, uh, none of them have felt that that was a convincing argument at all. 
I'm trying everything I can, Rabbi, just to oh, have uh, just to have some <laughs> some rice and some corn on Pesach. I'm trying my best. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, tradition is very important, and certainly when we talk about the holiday of Pesach, where everybody has their own traditions and all of them are sacred, so it's something that we need to work hard to uphold. Greatly appreciate your time today at the Young Israel of Woodmere. You will conclude your remarks about Kitneos and this whole question about the seventh and eighth day Pesach. Correct. Yes. Thank you so much. And a chag kasher v'sameach to you, Rabbi Shai Shechter. He's Rosh Beis Medrash, Young Israel of Woodmere, helped us with uh, uh, the analysis of this question that came up during our Pesach Products program this past Monday right here at JM in the AM. More coming up at JM in the AM.